This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast. A very busy time. And remember, the podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Uh, download the Bet Rivers app for all of your uh, wagering needs. And uh, right now, there's obviously a lot going on. It was a very uh, busy weekend. Let's take them one at a time, then get to a couple of your emails. Um, the race, the Preakness went exactly as I thought it would. It was uh, not a good race. There were very few grade one animals in the race. Um, Mage was going to be compromised by the pace. When you have a horse that can control the speed and can back it down and then sprint to the wire, you're not going to beat that horse. And let me tell you something. If they're going around again, they weren't going to catch National Treasure. The horse had a ton past the wire, a ton. He had a ton left in the tank. He was being very carefully ridden. He was going to stay in front. Uh... Uh, and he's going to the Belmont. Uh, it's set up perfectly for him. They did exactly what I thought they would do. Uh, the pace was exactly what I thought it would be. And that was going to take Mage out of the race. Now, Mage moved early, which I think compromised his kick. Probably cost him finishing second. But he wouldn't have won the race anyway. Because he didn't have anything to close him to. And when you are a horse that is best suited to being a closer, and he is, uh, you take him back and you make the one big run. That's his best game. When you you are then at the mercy of the pace, there's no way around it. Uh, pace makes races, speed kills, lone speed dominates. That's all part of racing. That's why I thought National Treasure was going to win. Uh, not that I thought National Treasure is that much better horse to Maze, than Mage, but the bottom line is Mage needs help. He needs a fast pace to close into. And the Belmont does not suit him at all. He is not a Belmont horse, and that's why he's not going to the Belmont, which I think makes plenty of sense. You'll see him in the Travis, uh, and that's a good, a very good race for him. Uh, the Belmont will not have the Derby winner. It will have the Preakness winner. It'll probably – it may have Forte. I'm not sure yet, but it like, sounds like it might. It probably will have uh, Red Root 1 out of the Preakness. It'll have National Treasure, maybe tap it thrice, disarm, raise Kane, or go to the Belmont. But the Belmont's going to lack a lot. Uh, a lot of it's going to be the undercard. But if you like racing, it's a great day of racing because there are so many great races that day, including the Jiper, which will be very fascinating to see if Casa Creed, our Casa Creed, can win the Jiper for the third time ever. It's never been done before, and we will try to do it. Uh, and hopefully he can do it. He's training very well, which he always does. Uh, so he's an ultra-consistent horse, so he will try to do that on the undercard. And there's other very, very good races there. Um, now let's get to a couple other things. 
last week I told you I was critical of both teams, but I told you not to panic about either one. And what a difference a, a week makes. You know, the Yankees have won four straight out of ten. They're five and a half games out of first. The Mets have won five straight. They are five games out of first. So things have moved. Hey, they have a lot of work to do, both teams. They have changes to continue to make. They've started to make them. They're going to continue to make them. Some youth entering the Met picture, uh, changes entering the Yankee picture, Hicks going. Yeah, you're going to have other guys going on both teams, and they have changes still to make, but you're seeing uh, a positive move up. Mets won a lot of games with big home runs, come from behind home runs, clutch home runs, clutch hits, a lot of come from behind victories, exciting wins, and they got a good performance from Scherzer, a good performance from Verlander. Hey, that's exactly what they needed to start to move in the right direction. Yankees, uh, same thing, uh, playing much better ball. Uh, but again, taking advantage of teams that are weaker. Cleveland can't hit. That's an issue. Uh, the Reds are overmatched by the Yankees. That's an issue. Yankees are going to own that ballpark. That's all there is to it, even though they didn't score really that many runs there. Uh, they did hit some home runs when they needed them. Um, but we'll have more on them as we get to Memorial Day. Uh, there's still a lot to talk about with both teams, but they have put solid weeks in to kind of stop the noise and get everybody from being so panic-struck about where they were. Okay? NBA. Um... What a strange, strange year. Uh, thought Denver would win the series, but thought it would be a long series. I did not expect to see what has happened. Um, uh, I didn't know if they would break through the Lakers in uh, Denver. Didn't, didn't really have an opinion on that because it's been such a home court. Two, two teams have been so strong in their home courts. Neither one had lost on their home court. But I did think the Lakers would win game three. And they just could not handle the three-point shooting of, of uh, Denver. They just could not every time, whether it was Murray and then Pope in the third quarter, then Brown in the fourth quarter, uh, and then Jokic kicking in after being in foul trouble. You know what? It was just too much. Uh, LeBron's shown his age. That's all there is to it. He's not Superman anymore. You know, So he, he can't do it on the level he could. And they didn't get the performances they needed. And the mighty Lakers are, let's be honest, they're down and out. They're not winning the series. We know that. No one's ever come back from three down in the NBA. Um, whether they get another game or not, who can, we'll see. But let's be honest. Uh, we're looking to the finals with Denver. I thought Denver in seven. Now, the other series, I thought Celtics in seven. I thought the Heat would win games. I have great respect for Spolster, which I have uh, hinted and talked about many times. Um, they are a tough team led by Butler and a mentally tough team put together by Riley. Um, but what they've done is remarkable. And the Celtics just quit in game three. I mean, the, the heat just took their heart. That was an embarrassing performance. One that leads to massive changes. That's how bad that was. And that's how bad this series is for the Celtics because the heat, with Spolstra's coaching, with their defense, have taken away what the Celtics do, and the Celtics have been completely destroyed in this series. They've been destroyed physically. They've been destroyed mentally. And let's be honest, their coach has not been up to the challenge. In any way, he has not been up to the challenge. 
Now, he's a young coach. Are you going to stick with him and let him grow, or are you going to move on? You know, let's see how the Celtics decide to play this, both in terms of personnel and in terms of coaching. It's going to be fascinating to see once the series is over. Um, there's going to be a lot of time off probably in the NBA before you get to the finals. That's going to hurt the finals. Plus, Denver-Miami, when you, had, when you could have had Boston-L.A., or one or the other in the finals, Denver-Miami is going to hurt from a rating standpoint. But if you like basketball, it's got some interesting twists and turns, that series. The presence of Jokic and what he means, the presence of Butler and what he means, and all the role players and how well those guys are playing on both teams. Uh, the coaching, I, I just think it's, it's a fascinating series if you like basketball. If you're a marginal fan, you're probably not going to get into this series at all. You might not even watch it. But from a standpoint of if you like basketball, it's going to be an interesting series. It's going to be down the road. There's no question. They're not starting the NBA Finals until June 1st. So they could have some deep time off. You know, you just deal with that. That was a stunning. To me, game two was the stunner. Game three was stunning in how badly the Heat, the heat dominated. But game two was the stunner. I thought Miami had a great chance after the seventh game to steal one. But when they won game two, that was the stunner. That was the game changer. And then, you know, they made Boston favorite in game three, which was a little surprising. And, you know, the Heat just destroyed them, absolutely destroyed them. So a lot going on. Busy time. Uh, South Florida is alive because you got the Panthers, and look what they've done from the time when they beat the Bruins. And I'm still sitting there, and you know I like to watch the, the hockey playoffs. I'm sitting there watching Boston with a goal lead with a minute left, and the Panthers come back and tie that up, send it to overtime, that seventh game. Wow. Think about back then and now where the Panthers have come to. So uh, South Florida is alive with the Heat, with the Panthers, uh, and very interesting, very interesting time down there. It really is um, from that standpoint with the Panthers having the lead they have now. Um, emails at mikefrances at gmail.com. So mikefrances a podcast at gmail.com for emails. Let me get to a couple here today. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk of what's going to happen in this very rich NBA draft, obviously Wemby's going to be the first pick. We know that. He's a franchise changer. But there's some very good players. Miller is going to be, despite what went on in Alabama in the postseason with all his craziness off the field uh, and off the court, M Miller is going to be a sensational player. Uh, Scooter Henderson's a good player. Whitmore is a very good talent. Didn't have a good year at Villanova, but really has a great, uh, really should step up and be very, very good in the NBA. So that's a lot of good talent at the top of the draft. So there's a lot of trade talk. Phoenix making a big trade uh, and trading Aiton, all kinds of different things uh, going on. So it's going to be a very interesting time from that standpoint if you like the draft and like all the rumors about trades and everything else going on. There's a lot of them in the NBA. All right, uh, Matt and Carolina starts us off. NBA final slot date is June 1st. Uh, if the Nuggets sweep, they'll have 10 days. If the Heat sweep, they'll have nine. 
Will the NBA think twice before having a set in stone date again? No, they won't. They won't. They'll live with it. Is it bizarre? I don't even know if in the same year both teams have ever swept the conference finals. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but uh, I didn't go back and look. Um, it may have happened once. I don't remember. Uh, I can think of conference sweeps, but I can't think of two in the same year. But it's a very strange thing, and it will impact the finals. There's no question about that. It will, Because this final is going to be hard to sell anyway. Denver, Miami, very hard to sell. You know, you're going to sell Jokic, but Jokic has been hard to sell anyway. You're going to sell Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler does not cut through despite how great a player he is. And he is a great player. He does not cut through as a transcendent NBA star. You don't have one of those guys in this final. And that's what sells in the NBA. To the, you know, to the average fan, that's what sells. But are they going to change things? No, they're not. They're going to live with that because it's not going to happen often. Uh, Joe in Yorktown. This week, you will need four different services if you want to watch the Yankee game. Yes, Apple, Amazon, and Peacock. I know it's money, but the Yankees are putting their fan base in a ridiculous position, and it's infuriating that they don't care. Uh, I'm not getting four different services. I think if the Yankees utilize yes, obviously have a small percentage of games on regular TV, and even have the occasional game on Amazon, you can live with that. When they branch out to Apple and to Peacock with games, they are really being unfair to their fan base completely. We are in a, we are making a move from cable to digital, and the streaming world is just starting to come into some kind of focus. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. Yes, Amazon's going to be a major player. Yes, Apple's going to be a major player. Yes, Netflix is going to be a major player. Uh, Disney will be a major player. Uh, somebody might buy Peacock. Somebody might buy Hulu. Somebody might merge with the other. There'll be a consolidation somewhere down the road with the others. But you know what? For them to go to all these different streaming services and take money from all of them and then make you buy Peacock to see a Yankee game, you're not going to do that. You're not going to buy Peacock so that just because the Yankees are on 1130 on Sunday. You, let's put the radio on. You'll live with one game. But if you're someone who follows them day in and day out, you're infuriated by that and you feel cheated by that. And I think the Yankees have overdone it. I totally agree. I think it's a very fair complaint. Uh, Paul in uh, Merchantville. I heard on one of your podcasts that you believe that it was the Knicks losing Riley that was the greatest coach loss in the history of New York sports. I said, since I've been doing this, going back to the 80s, the most devastating single loss from a team in terms of an executive or a coach was Riley leaving the Knicks. He said, so the question is, where would you 
put Parcells leaving the Giants in comparison. I think it was big, but look at the difference. Look at where Riley was with the Knicks. And look at the fact that Tom Coughlin came in and won two epic Super Bowls against the unbeaten mighty Patriots and then again against Tom Brady and the Patriots. So he filled the void. The Knicks did not fill that void. They never filled that void. They had one trip to the finals with Van Gundy, but that was still the residue of Riley. Not that Jeff didn't do a good job. He did, but that was still the residue. After that, it all fell apart. The whole thing came tumbling down. And the bottom line is, okay, uh, his loss was devastating. I can't call the Parcells loss as devastating when the Giants went on and won two Super Bowls and epic Super Bowls at that. Keith from Westchester, if Mike and the Mandalore could have been covering sports in any year prior to when you started in 1989, what would you choose and why? Well, the easy one is 51. We have always talked about being able to day-to-day chronicle the 51 pennant race and what went on, especially in our town, and then having the World Series as a culmination. I would have loved 56 because I would have loved to have been there day in, day out, and followed Mantle as he had a year that only a handful of players have ever experienced. Only a few players ever reached the height that he reached in 56. I would have loved to experience that. And I would have liked to have been there when Jackie Robinson broke in. That would have been a fascinating time to watch and chronicle that. Imagine the conversations that would have gone on that year. Would have been fascinating. Brett says, your thoughts on Kepka's big win? I picked can't lead a win. I always mention Kepka. I always have. He's Mr. Major. He had been hurt by injuries. He had been hurt by a little indecision about his moves in life and the move to live. He had been hurt by that. There's no question about it. This is a guy who lived for the majors. And he, I think, had real second thoughts about what he did. And I think it affected his game. But you showed in the majors, in the masters, he was back. And that's why in this tournament, I said, Scheffler's going to be there because he's always there. And I think Scheffler right now is the best player in the world. I've said that many times and the most consistent. The worst finish he's had this year is 12th, which is amazing. He's there every week. Um, In majors, though, Kepka comes to play. And that's why I said Cantley at 17 to 1. He finished ninth. He was always on the perimeter of breaking into this tournament. He never got into the meat of it. He finished ninth, one under par. Um, Kepka at 20 to 1 was my second choice. So I said Cantley is my first choice at 17 to 1. Kepka is my second choice at 20 to 1. I did bet both of them. Um, I'm not ever surprised when Kepka wins. This guy doesn't care about regular tournaments, but he notches it up. Just look at how few tournaments he's won in his life. He now has five majors. You know how big that is? 
He's prolific. He's an all-time great. And he is the first player born this side of Tiger Woods to put together five majors. So he's the first player born after 75 to win five majors. So Tiger Woods stands as, without question, he stands right there with Bobby Jones, with Jack Nicklaus, as the greatest players of all time. Tiger's in the top two. Um, if you want to add Bobby Jones, he's in the top three. Nicholas, Bobby Jones, I would rank it Nicholas, Tiger, Bobby Jones, the top three players of all time. But Kepka in this age has been amazing in majors and especially in the PGA. He is a dominant force in the majors. Five wins. And I think more to come. So, you know, Kepka has been my guy. I have won on him countless times. I always bet him in the I did not bet him in the Masters. But in the PGA, he had been so good. I put a small wager on him. I liked Cantley. I thought the Joey LaCava move would be big. I thought Cantley was ready to win. I thought he was going to answer the criticism. He, he, he played okay, and I knew he could drive the ball well on this course, which was critical. You had to stay out of the rough. And he's very good at driving the ball down the middle uh, and being very efficient with his driver. So uh, I thought Cantley would be very good. He wasn't bad. I mean, like I said, he finished ninth. But wasn't good enough. And Kepka did it again. He is amazing. Utterly, utterly amazing. There's no other word for it. Um, and he is now an all-time great. When you realize how good a player Freddie Couples was, Freddie Couples won one major. Think of anybody who you've watched play in the last 30 years and then say, other than Tiger Woods and or other than Phil Mickelson, who later in life, once he got it figured out, started really putting them together, picking them up and putting them down. And you knew Phil had greatness in him and is a borderline top 10 player of all time. But look at guys that you think are really good players and then look at how many majors they have. They might have one. They might have two. Go back to a Nick Faldo who had six. Three and three. This guy's already got five majors. And he's not going to be stopped for a while. I mean, he's got another good 10 years where he will be a major factor, maybe even 15 years, but at least 10 years. Where he's going to be a factor. He's going to win more majors. Brooks Kepka could win 10 majors in his career. He's that good. He's that good in the big events. I don't think he cares about regular golf. I, I'm, if he wins, fine. If he doesn't, fine. But when he is at a major, he is a different player. 
And it shows. Because if you look, most of the guys he's competing against have a major if they're lucky. He's got five already. He's that good. And when he's there, he, you know, it was surprising. I thought he got tired at Augusta. Augusta with the rain, and even when it's not raining, is an incredibly hard course to walk. If you've, you wouldn't know that unless you've been there, and I've been fortunate enough to be there. It is incredibly hilly. And when you have to play double up and stuff like that, it takes a toll. Plus, I think live golf, the way it's set up, has made a guy like Hefka probably a little softer. It hasn't been the best thing for him. So I think maybe he wasn't in the best shape. Plus, he said he knew what he did wrong at the Masters. Everyone noticed how fast he played at, the, at Augusta. He never even seemed to take a second to play a shot. He seemed much more thoughtful and much more uh, pace-driven in this tournament where he was waiting and really contemplating what he was doing. I don't think he did that, especially in round four at the Masters. And you saw yesterday as he got challenged and then he pulled away. And it was good that he did. You know, Scheffler finished second, tied with Hovland, who is very close to winning a major. Hovland is right there. He is a great ball striker. He is, he's gotten better with his short game, and Hovland is very close to winning a major. He's going to win one very, very soon. Uh, he's a very good player. Um, Scheffler finished seven under, and he left some punts he should make out on the course. He could have easily won that tournament, but he didn't. Matt and Hawthorne asked about Jim Brown. Let me say this. I'm not, at the time of his death, getting into Jim Brown's life off the court, life off the field, okay? I'm not discussing the good things he did. I'm not discussing the bad things that he did. There are both. He did some very, very dynamic things as a leader and as a racial leader. He did some ugly things as a person. I'll leave it at that. This is Jim Brown, the football player. Jim Brown, the football player, was the greatest football player who ever stepped on an NFL field. Hands down, the best player. He left his career as the most dominant running back to ever step on an NFL field at the age of 29. And he already had dominated the game completely. He was the single best football player of all time. Case closed. I don't think there's any argument. Anytime I've been asked, whether it was from NFL Films or NFL, whatever, through the years, to list the players, I always listed Jim Brown number one. I listed Lawrence Taylor number two because I think he changed the sport dramatically as a defensive player. Completely changed the way football was played and was that dominant. 
And I think he's the most dominant defensive player of all time. But Jim Brown's the greatest football player of all time. That's all I can do. So when you want to get into whether he could play now or do this or do that, doesn't he could play anytime, anywhere. He was stronger. He was bigger. He was faster. He was just an incredible physical specimen. He also had record-breaking performances as a basketball player, and people who know the sport of lacrosse will tell you that he was without question I've had lacrosse coaches who coached for many years tell me Jim Brown was by far the greatest lacrosse player who ever lived. And you can see why. He could dominate that game with his physical tools. So he was, you know, you could get into who was the greatest athlete ever produced in this country, Jim Thorpe or Jim Brown. Brown. That's fine. You can debate that all you want. But we're talking the NFL He's the best player who ever played in the NFL. That's it. We'll have a busy week for you, like we said. We got a lot more to do. So uh, enjoy your Monday, and we'll talk to you down the road. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan, and you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli Podcast today wherever you get your podcasts.